Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know I'm right on football. Nick Durst and Joe Calabrese. And right after the Rangers win their first of the season, we are here to discuss some football. Joe, good morning. Good morning. We will start off by asking you how you feel about Robert Sala being the New York Jets head coach. Interesting hire. Uh we know he's very animated on the sidelines. We know he had a very good string of defenses the past two years with the 49ers. Uh, we know that him and our guys, Brandon Tierney and Keith Arizari, were all separated at birth. So now we all got the triplets here in the New York area. Uh, we're going to be very, very excited about that moving forward. Uh, but it's an interesting hire. I would have preferred an offensive guy. Uh, I feel like maybe uh, Sam Darnold, if he was still the quarterback here next year, which it's increasingly looking like he will be here uh, at least through uh, the end of his first contract. Uh, I thought they needed an offensive guy, but uh, Sal apparently blew them away in the interview. So in this case, I uh, would like them for to, I would like the Jets to hire the best candidate possible. Uh, Breastman, good morning to you, uh, our guy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, We'll see how it plays out. I remember a couple years ago when they hired Todd Bowles. Uh, Bowles was one of those guys who was always getting praised and didn't really work out for him here. Uh, but we'll hope for the best with Salah. So today we are going to bring on a special guest, someone who is a former Jets fan, maybe still a Jets fan. We'll figure that out. But he is the inventor of the Foreman formula for betting. So he's going he's gonna to draw it out for us, Joe. Very okay. excited. So... For I think like the fifth time this season, we're going to have two Joes on the show. So things are going to get confusing. But without further ado, here he is, the one, the only, Joe Foreman. Well, Nick, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Good morning, Joe, as well. And Nick, I don't remember if you recall the last time you and I talked football. Do you happen to remember at the CSI softball complex in the rain, umpires lost ahead of game time. We didn't know where they were. You and I were filling the airspace. I believe it was the night of the NFL draft. I think it was when Sam Darnold became a Jet, perhaps the year after that. But that was the last time you and I talked football. 
Yeah, big uh, CSI Dolphins softball extended pregame coverage talking New York Jets because the the umpires did not show up. Phenomenal stuff. So, Joe, we got you here now. Joe Foreman, what do you think of that Jets hire, and does it really matter? Well, listening to what Joe said, I think I, too, would have preferred an offensive-minded coach. But looking back at some of the best years that I can recall being a Jet fan, it was the Rex Ryan era. It was the most exciting time that – there has been to be a Jet fan, at least during my lifetime. I really didn't hop on the Jets bandwagon until the early 2000s, mid-2000s maybe. And at that point, Eric Mangini was the head coach. So those years weren't necessarily highlights. So the Jets did make the playoffs under Mangini. It wasn't quite as exciting as the Rex Ryan years. It made for some great media. I'm sure people in the business that we're in right now talking sports loved Rex Ryan. So another animated coach like Sala definitely might make it more exciting to cover the team. But Looking at these 49ers teams that he's presided over as the defensive coordinator this year, a top five defense, and a team that I think far outperformed the roster they had following the injuries they sustained throughout the season. So the 49ers are a team I've typically considered very well coached. Of course, had Coach Shanahan a lot to do with that, but Robert Sala presiding over that defense, giving them a lot on that side of the ball, and it reflects in the stats. Remember, Nick Bosa out for a large portion of the year as well, so a lot of credit, I think, goes to Sala for the success of the 49ers. Joe Calabrese, does he last all five years or does he get fired? And it's it's about time the Jets finally let the GM hire the coach. It's like the first time in like 12 years because usually it's the other way around. It never works out. Yes, that is correct. Uh, yeah, so what happens is during the Rex years, they had Mike Tannenbaum as GM. He got fired. Uh, they hired John Edzik. Best GM of all time. Uh, it was a shotgun wedding between him and Rex Ryan. That did not work whatsoever. And then they went out. They hired Mike McCagnan and Balls together. Uh, again, that didn't work out. So, Brandies, uh, and they yeah. hired Douglas. Yes. So we'll see what happens with Douglas. Uh, it, I, I like what Douglas is doing so far. He's he's gotten the extra picks from the Jamal Adams trade. They have a lot of cap space. Uh, they have something that they don't usually have, which is called flexibility. Uh, but you are right. I mean, in, in terms of the last time the Jets were were competent and, and this, something like this was in place uh, was well over 10 years ago, which is also coincidentally the last time the Jets made the playoffs. So in terms of getting the five years from Salah, uh, we'll see. My, in, my, my instinct says no, uh, which is the, the miserable with, Jets yeah. fan in me. But we'll, we'll see. You know, we'll hope for the best. NFL coach has no job security. Joe Foreman, no, I can easily say not. right now, in the next five years – 26 of the 32 NFL teams will fire their head coach. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no doubt about it. These are the guys that are going to stay. Belichick, unless he retires. Uh, Andy Reid, unless he retires. John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin. Like, those guys are locks. Uh, right. And then maybe maybe you want to say McDermott, if he, if he you know, breaks through here, he could probably stay. But other than that. I'm thinking as of, as of now, Vrabel probably has some pretty good security too. I mean, he's been really good since he took over. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're right. You know, the turnover for coaches now is ridiculous. Everybody's getting fired and hired within a matter of two to three seasons. Yeah. For, what do you make a formula. A formula for that might be a good one too, but there's just so much to go into the Form current formula. formula. <laughs> you, you really hyped it up, Nick. I'm not sure it's all that you made it out to be, but I'll try and lay it out for us later in the show. But I think making a formula that would determine which head coach is next on the chopping block might be the next step for me. Yeah, I, I think you could get into the analytics department of coaching or ESPN analysts or something. But it's it just, I think the problem Joe Calabrese these days is that 
Nobody has patience anymore. Adam Gaze, two years, he's gone. McCagan, three years, he's gone. How do you determine in, in a season what somebody's going to be? That's why I really like that the uh, Bengals with Zach Taylor decided to keep him another year. Because how do you evaluate him on one year, Andy Dalton's last year, and then eight games with Joe Burrow? doesn't make sense. I know you're a no, big Joe Burrow guy. So no, I, I, I totally agree. To bring Taylor back. I think I think coaches need at least three seasons, and I think if if you don't figure out uh, the scope of your league by the third season, I think that is the point where you could say, okay, this isn't really working out. I think you need to be a playoff. I wouldn't say like a championship contender in year three, but I think you need to be competing uh, consistently for the playoffs by year three. Yeah, I think sometimes you just know. You know, with like a Matthew you know. or uh, or Pat Shermer, but most of the time, people just you know kind of rush things. So I don't know. But other coaching hires, Urban Meyer, he's finally taking the leap here into the pros, and I don't know, was it going to work? You would think, but Nick Saban, a, tro- a great college coach, atrocious in the NFL. Uh, Spurrier, same thing. Pete Carroll, the first his first go of it. In the NFL, wasn't good. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. If you draft, if you draft Justin Fields, I think that's going to be a disaster. Um, but Joe Foreman, what do you think? Those Trevor Lawrence jerseys going to be flying off the shelves now? If Trevor Lawrence winds up with the Jets, I might move out of NFL fandom limbo and back onto the New York Jets bandwagon just for the simple fact that we'll have some more excitement around the team once again because lately there hasn't been much excitement around the Jets. And when you look back in the last couple of seasons, all the cap space this team has had and what little impact it has made on this roster. They went out and got Tremaine Johnson a couple of years ago. That was a huge failure. I think C.J. Mosley's appeared in two or three games I think he was the highest paid linebacker once Luke Keekley retired once again. So that move clearly did not pan out. Le'Veon Bell obviously didn't work out. So if Trevor Lawrence did wind up with the Jets, I think that would generate a lot of excitement around the fan base. I don't see it happening. But if it does, I would certainly be happy about that as a season ticket holder. They might get me to attend a game or two. We'll see. But you took the thought right out of my head when you mentioned Nick Saban. I'm not very attuned to the college football landscape, the coaching there, and even the game. I don't really follow college football too much. But I remember that Nick Saban hire. I remember all the hype around that Nick Saban hire. It clearly did not work out. Those Dolphins teams with Saban were not good. And the Dolphins really struggled throughout that time period as well. I think they had a one-win season behind Cleo Lemon at some point within the year surrounding the Saban hire. So not a good stretch for the Dolphins. We'll see if it works out with Urban Meyer. The college product has been good for him. But as we've seen, that doesn't always translate to the pro game. Yeah, Joe Calabrese. Obviously, Jaguars have the most cap space in the league, $76 million. So Urban Meyer said, this is the spot for me to come in here and an AFC South, which isn't exactly, you know, super strong. You got all the issues with that, the Texans right now. Uh, Colts, they don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be without Phillip Rivers. And the Titans, you know, they aren't there. They're going to be a nine-win team every year and make the playoffs. But what do you think about this this hire here? And do you think it's going to work out? Do you think there's going to be a lot of players wanting to sign with the Jaguars or Frazier? So two points. Number one, you're mostly right, I think, when you – mention college coaches don't always translate to the pros. Uh Saban lasted two years in the NFL with the Dolphins and in two years he was six and ten and nine and seven. So he I don't think he was a total failure. I just don't think he was given enough time to really 
But didn't he Steve quit? He's the one out. that quit. He took he quit the job because he wanted to go to Alabama. Right. He wanted to, he went back to Alabama and obviously that worked out for him. Uh so in that regard, who knows if he would have been a, a good NFL coach. I think what he does would translate, but we didn't, we didn't have a big enough sample size to see that. Uh, in terms of Urban Meyer going to the Jaguars, I think it's for right now. I think it's a, a great fit because the Jaguars needed a hire uh, that has really close ties to the area. Uh, I don't think there was any really slam dunk guy in the NFL, maybe outside of Brian Dayball with the the Bills, the offensive coordinator, who would have been a really great fit in Jacksonville and Dayball right now. Uh, I believe he wants to go to the Chargers the most, and that makes sense because Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, there are a lot of similarities there, uh, so I could see why he he sees that job as the most appealing. Uh, but in terms of Meyer going to the Jaguars, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I think at some point all these major college coaches, uh, they get the itch to go to the NFL and to prove themselves in the NFL. And if there was an opportunity for Meyer that intrigued him the most, that made sense. This is the one that that's it. Uh, got all the cap space in the world. Has the access to Trevor Lawrence, true, you know, franchise quarterback, somebody who's been hyped right out of high school for the past couple of years, and they have the cap space. Uh, he's going to Jacksonville. He's got the ties to, to the University of Florida. Uh, he's got a built-in fan base ready to go. Uh, they're very, very excited for him. I know. Uh, Family friends who live right outside the Jacksonville area who are uh, major college football fans. They kind of live right on the border there where Florida and Georgia is. So they're very uh, used to that rivalry over there. They're very excited for Urban Meyer. And, and you know something? Even if he doesn't work out, for him personally, he's not working now. He's done everything you can do as a collegiate coach. You know, why not take the jump? You know, so we I don't know. We got a great question here from the breast yeah. man. And, uh, We'll let Joe Foreman take a stab at answering this one. As this will be Urban Meyer's first stint as an NFL coach, what could he take from what coaches like Saban and Chip Kelly did and improve on? Chip Kelly was kind of ran out of uh, Philadelphia really quickly, but he did kind of uh, rejuvenate the way the offense was played across the league. But Foreman, what do you think about that? I think I remember the Chip Kelly stint much better than I remember the Nick Saban stint with the Dolphins. It was much more recent, and I was much more engaged in the NFL game by that time. And what I remember about Chip Kelly as a head coach was when he first came onto the scene, you mentioned the innovative offense and how he changed the way offense was played a bit. But once teams began to adjust, I don't think the adaptability was there. And very quickly, a lot of what he did was phased out of the game, and you don't see it nearly as much anymore. But when he first came onto the scene, he was billed as an innovator. His Eagles teams are pretty good. And over time, the luster surely wore off. And a lot of those gimmicks now gone from the game. So I think adaptability is the number one thing. And that applies to all college coaches coming over to the NFL. Obviously, it's a different game, some very minor differences in rules as well. But I think adaptability is the number one thing that he could take, especially from the Chip Kelly situation and the lesson that he could learn from him and his stint as Eagles head coach. Joe Calabrese, we got a question here from Usk Eight Man Twelve Forty Eight for you. Want to become famous by followers, primes, or viewers on some <laughs> random site? Do not click that yeah. site if you are a listener of our show. But hey, thanks Usk Eight Man Twelve Forty Eight for for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Joe Calabrese, Arthur Smith, who was supposedly the number two guy for the Jets, he gets the Falcons job. Falcons, I think, is a great spot to be a coach because. Buccaneers probably got another two years. Brady's gone. They're done. 
this could be it for Drew Brees and the Saints. So uh, the Panthers are coming. Rule's a good coach, but you know what the quarterback situation is there. So at least you're going into a place you got Matt Ryan, a Hall of Famer, for another four or five years. Or they could trade him and draft a quarterback right now at the top of the draft. So Arthur Smith, he's with the Falcons. Uh, maybe a little overhyped because what's so great about the Titans' offense these past few years? They're just running the ball. So what do you think we got this higher and the Falcons' job as a whole? Well, the last few hires that they had um... – they weren't defensive hires to try to balance out the because they've been an offensive oriented team. Uh, so now they're going with the true offensive guy. Uh, Matt Ryan probably stays now. I think it could be with the Arthur Smith hire. Uh, it, it's interesting because you're right there. But the last guy who was poached from the Tennessee situation was Matt LaFleur. He's doing pretty good in Green Bay, I would think. So uh, obviously both coaches are not the same. The Jets had him on their radar, did not hire him. Uh, time will tell to see if it's a good hire or not. But it seems like the best options now are you find teams with good systems in place. Uh, it, it seems like if you're a good head coach, uh, you can consistently bring in good assistance. And I think that's something to also add on to, to Mr. Joe Foreman's point in terms of collegiate coaches in the NFL. In college, your most important roles are recruiting and building your staff. And for the most part, if you're not a good recruiter, you're not going to be a good coach in the end. In the NFL, the recruiting goes totally out the window. You need a strong staff around you from your GM down to your assistant coaches. Uh, and you need a strong scouting staff because the draft is the most important. If you're not, if you're not doing well in the draft, then you're, you're, you're going to be, be basically be gone within a couple of years. Uh, you saw this with the Giants with Jerry Reese. You saw the great years at the beginning, and then the final three, four years just could not hit on draft picks, and then he was out. Uh, but back to Arthur Smith, he comes from the Tennessee situation. Uh, I think you're going to be seeing that over the next couple of years with the Titans situation, the Bills, the Chiefs. All those coaching staffs are pretty uh, sturdy. The foundation's already in place. Uh, when you have a good head coach, and you have a good quarterback in place, uh, everybody will follow. So if somebody gets fired elsewhere, they'll bring, they'll go back to that staff, you know, and then lather, rinse, repeat, they'll recycle coaches, so on and so forth. Uh, but we'll see with Arthur Smith. I, I, I liked him. I don't know if I would have hired him as a, for, if I was the Jets. Uh, seems like Sal might be a little bit of a better choice there, but I think it's a good situation because I think the Falcons, like the Jets, have flexibility. You could either go forward with Matt Ryan and know uh, you're pretty set in place there, or you could trade him, get some draft picks, uh, rebuild, uh, and then you could start from the ground up, and that'll give you and probably buy you an extra year or two like that anyway. Deshaun Watson wants to be able to pick the coach. He kind of wants uh, Bien-Ami or he wanted Salah, but Texans didn't even, didn't even interview Salah. Now, the, the Seahawks, they fire Brian Schottenheimer, who I think is extremely overrated as an offensive coordinator. The guy was not good with the Jets. Uh, now, Russell Wilson wants to pick the offensive coordinator, which I guess makes sense. But Joe Foreman, what do you remember about those Brian Schottenheimer boring offenses? Well, boring was definitely an accurate description of much of that offense. It, I, I think Brian Schottenheimer was still a coordinator when the Jets had guys like Kevin Barlow at running back, and they would just keep handing the ball off, handing the ball off, handing the ball off. And they always had these receivers who 
for lack of a better phrase, weren't Madden receivers, guys with burning, you know, burner speed that could really torch the defenses. They always had these possession receivers like Lavernius Coles and Jericho Cotri, and they were good players. But when they had a quarterback like Chad Pennington, a lot of the time he was responsible for some of these Lavernius Coles concussions. The ball wasn't coming out with quite the velocity you'd see from a guy like maybe Brett Favre, who came on shortly after Pennington left for the Dolphins. But, you know, for the Jets, I think right now, looking at that team, they need quite a bit moving forward. And, you know, looking back at the Schottenheimer days, I think they're slowly reverting back into a place where their offense just simply isn't explosive. If they ever really had that game-breaking explosive offense in the first place. But I don't remember those days fondly, the Brian Schottenheimer days with the Jets. And watching the Seahawks play the other day or last week, Against the Rams, I think a big part of the problem with them is that offensive line. It wasn't necessarily the play calling, per se, in that game anyway. I felt like Russell Wilson was standing behind a revolving door in front of him. And as soon as he took the snap, he was facing a sack. Now, a lot of the credit goes to the Rams' defense for that, a great front. But Aaron Donald did go down with an injury in that game, was in and out sporadically the rest of the way. Same case yesterday with Donald being in and out. But I do think Russell Wilson has at least earned some say in that decision. And when players are demanding input and personnel decisions it things get a little iffy but when it's a franchise changing player that's brought you a Super Bowl like Russell Wilson I think he's in a much stronger position to make such a demand than someone like Deshaun Watson is even though Watson did get paid that huge contract we're going to get to the Rams and Packers momentarily here but Joe Calabrese wanted to end the coach talk with this uh of course the Texas Longhorns uh, hire Steve Sarkeesian he'll be fired in three years no doubt about it terrible with USC not, not a good hire there, but Bill O'Brien's going to become the offensive coordinator with Alabama. To me, that's a little puzzling because, A, I thought maybe he'd sit out a year, and B, I think he's better than an offensive coordinator in college. He, he should easily have been able to get a head coaching job in college, but maybe due to COVID-19, a lot of people didn't fire their, their coaches and whatnot. Uh, I'd be surprised if next season, not this season, if Bill O'Brien's not coaching at least a power five school. Well, this is what I was getting at before. Bill O'Brien will go to Alabama for a year. They'll have success. He'll rebuild his name a little bit. I mean, most people know that Bill O'Brien is not a bad coach. I mean, did it end bad with the Texans? Yes, but that's because it's you can't juggle both the general manager and the coaching duties in the NFL. It just doesn't work unless you're Bill Belichick. Unless you're really like in that upper echelon of two or three special, you know, generational type of names, it just doesn't work. So, uh, Bill O'Brien has a track record of success. He was good at Penn State as a head coach. He was good in the NFL uh, as a te- with the Texans as a head coach. Was he a great head coach? No. But if you win division titles, and especially if you win four division titles in five years, I think it was. How could how could I say you're a bad head coach? Hoyer like- as your quarterback. I mean, the, the roster obviously helped out too. That right, the Texans had a really strong roster, but I mean, we know at this point that he can coach. You know, is he a great coach? I wouldn't say so, but we he's proven in multiple places that he's capable of being not only a college head coach, a head coach, but an NFL head coach. So we'll see. Again, like I said, like I was saying before, you know, as soon as the guy gets fired, he'll reach out to the best situation to re- to rebuild his name a little bit. Uh, I do agree with you. I think it's only going to be a matter of time within a year before Bill O'Brien ends up being a head coach again. And I think you're right too, Nick. It's more likely to be the head coach of a power five school than he is to go back to the NFL. If he's to go back to the NFL, I think it would be as an offensive coordinator first before he would get another head coaching job. 
Now, the last bit team we know about right now is look. It's like the Lions are going to hire Dan Campbell to be their head coach. We'll see if Matt Patricia ends up being a defensive coordinator or defensive coach back with Bill Belichick in New England. But let's talk about the games from yesterday. So we'll start with the the early game, and that would be the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers, three touchdowns for the MVP, beat the Rams 32-18. to Not much of a surprise there for me. Uh, Rodgers is just that damn good, and now he's going to host his first NFC Championship game. And I don't see how this team doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll start with you, Joe Calabrese. What did you think about that game yesterday? I think all things considered, uh, I thought the Rams played as well of a game as they were going to play. I think Cam Akers looked good yesterday. Uh, Jared Goff coming off the thumb surgery uh, did not play bad, played very well. Uh, but naturally, if you're going into Green Bay and you're playing Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game, you're going to need to play beyond your best. And obviously, they didn't do that. So uh, just to keep this short and sweet, uh, the Packers defense looked very solid yesterday. Uh, the Rams, there were the game where they needed to drive right down the field to keep up, and they were able to get those those drives and punch them in for touchdowns. But the very next possession, the Packers made stops on defensive times, and I think it goes without saying Aaron Rodgers is special. You know, he's going he's either going to win the MVP, or he's going to finish second in the MVP, uh, best player in the NFL this season. I think uh, Nick would agree with that as well. But this is a well-rounded team. They are well coached. You see it yesterday when their receivers make plays. They stay in bounds. They fight for the extra yards. The running game is just totally all there, whether it's Aaron Jones and he's their big play guy. Jamal Williams looked good yesterday. A.J. Dillon got a couple of carries yesterday. You get three guys who are capable of running the ball and hitting the whole heart and getting five yards or more out of it. Uh, Rodgers is playing, firing on all cylinders. The defense is really solid. This is a well-rounded team. This is a team that is much, much better than the team that lost to the 49ers last year in the NFC Championship game. It's kind of like first and second round picks. Both guys are second and third stringers this year. Not even <laughs> but yeah, so last year, uh, final point, last year when they played the 49ers, the 49ers defensively up front were one of the best units, I think, that we've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, that defensive line and that running game last year played such a smash-mouth style of football. I mean, they, they literally went right through the Vikings and the Packers in the playoffs before they lost to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That's not the case with this Packers team. Uh, the, the holes that they had in the offseason, they filled them and then some, and this team can play both ways. They, they can run the ball and they can dominate possession on the clock, or Aaron Rodgers can throw 30, 40 times for 300 yards for three, for two or three touchdowns, and even ran for one yesterday. That was a pretty nifty touchdown yesterday, but Packers looked great yesterday. That play action, um, they threw the bullet down the field. It was crazy, and then the one with – with the with Adams, uh, you know, cr- uh, crossing yes, the field, yeah, playing goal line where he crossed and, they, and Ramsey couldn't get over in time, and he started yelling at his. That's a good Yeah, that's just like, uh, I mean, that was that was crazy. Ramsey was flipping out, but uh, Foreman, what, what were your takeaways from this this game yesterday? Uh, do you see any chance that either the Saints or Bucks could end up beating the Packers in, in Lambeau? It's going to be a tough task for either one of those teams to slow down this Green Bay offense. And with all the hype around Patrick Mahomes the last year, of course, well-deserved. He won a Super Bowl. But you forget how good Aaron Rodgers is sometimes. He's been around forever. Sometimes he's taken for granted. And yesterday, he just showed complete command of that game. From the moment 
the ball was kicked off to open the game, and the Packers' offense took the field shortly after that Rams opening drive. Aaron Rodgers was in complete command, catching the Rams with 12 on the field. The adjustment made on the goal line, which sent Adams in motion. All of it done a lot of the time without any verbal communication with his receivers. And the Packers' running game really took me by surprise as well. I knew they could run the ball well, but they had three guys run the ball very effectively in yesterday's game. And in order for the Rams to win the game, they were going to be need to be nearly perfect. And they didn't get much pressure from the front four, which is something that they're accustomed to getting in most games. Donald again in and out of the game, as I mentioned before. And a lot of their tackling was very suspect, too, especially on the running backs. A lot of credit to Aaron Jones fighting for extra yards throughout the game. But when little plays like that that could have went for maybe one or two-yard gain turn into five or six, and you're giving Aaron Rodgers second and third down and short, it opens you up to the play action. We saw that at the end of the game when they hit the touchdown. That really clinched it. But the Packers, despite making some mistakes with some drop balls along the way, and the Rams did get a couple of key stops on third down, which kept them in the game, but the defense that stepped up and won that game in the end was the Green Bay defense. The offense, of course, had a fantastic day, but at the end of the game, when the Rams needed that touchdown late, the Packers defense closed the door quickly, got the Rams offense off the field, and to overlook the Packers defense following what was a great offensive performance yesterday would be a mistake, and it's going to be tough for either New Orleans or Tampa Bay to compete with that for four quarters. The high next week is 26 degrees in, in Green Bay with a 35% chance of snow and not quite as cold as when the, the Giants went there with Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning and they spent Tom Coughlin's first face off. It was a like negative 10, but still going to be cold. Joe Calabrese, pressman wants to know, despite the O-line success yesterday against the Rams, do you see it as a concern that Rodgers will be playing without offensive tackle David Bakhtari for the rest of the season? Yeah, uh, I think it's a great point by Bress. I think Packers overall have one of the best units uh, in the entire league, but losing Bakhtiari will definitely hurt them. Uh, but for the most part, they were able to contain the Rams yesterday, even uh, with Aaron Donald, who's definitively the best defensive lineman in the NFL. Uh, so going forward, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the Saints and the Buccaneers defensive lines aren't quite as good as what the Rams can do uh, because people tend to forget that guys like Michael Brockers are pretty good. Leonard Floyd's been pretty good with the Rams this season. Uh, so even though it, it's a, it, it's definitely a big loss, but I think the Packers uh, with the way they're built now and the depth that they have, will be able to navigate and manage through it. Right, the night game. Now the bills knock off the Ravens 17 to three. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson exits the fourth quarter with a concussion, but I honestly don't know if he being in the game would have made a difference because for the first three quarters, he was just getting crushed by the Bills' defense, and the Bills once again prove that they're just a great team. They could win these dirty games where it's just low scoring, or they could outscore you big time. But they totally took away the run of the Ravens, and the Bills win. They're heading on to next week. They could potentially host the game against the Browns, or they'll be heading to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs. Joe Calabrese, what did you what did you like yesterday that you saw from the Bills? I know you bet the Ravens, so sorry for your loss, but what did you think about that game? Yeah, well, I also bet the Packers, so we went one for one yesterday, and I bet more on the Packers to win, so we want we actually won money yesterday. So it's just a, a fun fun little factoid before we get to the Sunday games. Uh, the Foreman formula is coming up, folks. Foreman Stay formula is coming. Can't wait. Uh, so quickly, the conditions were not great yesterday. It was very, very windy. Uh, Justin Tucker 
Two. The greatest kicker in literally NFL history missed two field goals in the first half, uh, in one half, which is something that never, never happens. But uh, I think uh, you were right. The Bills played very well yesterday. They barely ran the ball. They kept it in the hands of Josh Allen the whole game, and that seemed to, to work out very, very nicely for them. I believe they had the fourth lowest rushing total uh, for a team that has won a playoff game in NFL history. So they they were able to stay in the game, had a couple drives uh, that they were able to to, to to get deep into the the, the the red zone like the Ravens did. The difference is the, the Ravens did not cash in on the opportunities that they had. And obviously the game turned when Lamar Jackson threw the 101-yard interception. Uh, that was that was pretty much the nail on the coffin for that game. But it was a Murphy's Law type oh, of game. Everything that could go wrong for the Ravens yesterday went wrong. Uh, but that's also kudos to the Bills. What they do uh, is tremendous. You're right. They they win the ugly games and they win the pretty games. And I think this all goes back, I believe, to the Stefan Diggs move. I think yeah. what he has done for them on offense this year, he led the league in passing yards, uh, receiving yards, led the league in receptions, uh, definitively was the best offensive skill position player at receiver uh, this season, the, the whole NFL, what he has done for Josh Allen has been nothing short of tremendous. I believe their growth together uh, is something that you're going to, you're going to have to watch out, you know, next Sunday. And and I think that for the next three to five seasons after this, so the last time the bill lost was a kind of fluky one too. remember Kyler Murray with the Hale, the Hale Murray. So the bills have really been rolling and they just, they, it's really, it's and you really tough. I met Sean McDermott before. Got to consider him right now. I believe he's one of the top five head coaches in the NFL. What he has been able to do with this Bills and creating this program, uh, and they do have now one of the best programs in the NFL. So it was kind of an ugly game. The conditions were not really conducive to a really good game. The Bills were able to survive and hang on a little bit. Uh, They made a couple big plays on offense, and they made that one huge play on defense. Kudos to the Bills. they're, They're very, very deserving of this. And I personally believe that regardless of who wins today, I believe that they have a chance to win and go to the Super Bowl next week. Absolutely. They're my, my pick to get to the Super Bowl against the Packers. I already said it here. Now, Joe Foreman, you had Bills Mafia in the building going wild. Governor Cuomo let some uh, fans in two weeks in a row. So I don't know if that would happen if the Giants were in the playoffs. And the we'll commission was there last night, too. The commission was there, too. So it's a big yeah. deal. But that, you know, maybe we'll see him somewhere else today. He's probably going to fly in his private jet. But I think they said Arrowhead. Yeah, Bills Mafia was going wild. And, you know, they they came away with what they wanted to win. They're going back to the AFC title game for the first time since 1993. What did you you like about the Bills that you saw yesterday? Or what did you really hate about what you saw from the Ravens? Well, I have to start by saying something that a lot of Bills Mafia may not like and that a lot of people probably won't admit, but I was not sold on the Bills until probably week 16, right near the end of the season. Going into this season, after the conclusion of last season as a Jets fan, I said the team we need to be most afraid of in the division, under the delusion that we had a chance to win the division, was the Miami Dolphins. Because what they did last year, trading away their entire roster, I thought, was more impressive than what the Bills accomplished last year, and the Bills were a playoff team. 
in that game against Houston going into the playoff game last year, I was watching that game with a bunch of friends, and I said, Josh Allen will lose them this game. When they were up 16 nothing, and before the game happened, I said, Josh Allen will be the reason they lose this game. They go up in that game, and I'm like, they're not winning this game. And behold, they lost the game. So that, for me at that point, confirmed what I thought was true already about this Bills team. And then this season happened, and by the end of the season, I just had to admit that they're for real. And I think last night showed, as you mentioned, Joe, they can win in a variety of ways. Josh Allen, obviously a great quarterback and has the potential, if he's not already, to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But the Ravens, watching that opening drive, I thought, wow, this team might give the Bills some trouble here. They're really running the ball right down their throat. But then by the time the end of the first half came, Buffalo and Baltimore tied at three at that point. But you just felt if Buffalo could get ahead by a touchdown and somehow get ahead two scores – this game was probably over because the way Baltimore simply couldn't pass the ball was striking. They started to do so a little bit better toward the end of the game, but at that point, they were already down seven, and when Lamar threw that costly interception, you knew Buffalo had probably had that game in the bag, but that's easy to say. Going into that game, I like Buffalo. The form and formula, as you're calling it now, Nick, had the Bills as a plus two, so on a technicality, with the spread being two and a half, I should have taken the Ravens, but whenever the spread is less than three – I take whatever my calculation has as the favorite. That was the Bills. And looking at the season as a whole, the Ravens came on very strong late. We're certainly a scary postseason opponent, but the Bills were a better team. And the way the Bills were able to air it out in those conditions, I don't think it can be understated, the impact of the win last night. You saw it on Justin Tucker missing a pair of kicks in one half, which is incredibly rare. But I think that definitely impacted the way the Ravens were able to pass the ball. Didn't seem to affect the Bills very much, and credit to Josh Allen for that. This team's definitely for real, and I echo your sentiment that they have a real shot to make the Super Bowl. Am I going to pick them if they're matched up against the Chiefs? I guess my formula will tell you next week, but I have a feeling that the numbers will tell me to take the Chiefs in that game. And, you know, the app I used to bet actually released potential spreads for both matchups already. I think they had the Chiefs minus four and a half. Wow. So you mentioned, you know, Al might be a top quarterback. So two weeks from now, Royal Rumble Sunday which is also the virtual Pro Bowl, Evan Ingram, the Pro Bowl, or virtual Pro Bowl. Yes, we'll have, Joe, Joe's going to give his uh, his quarterback rankings here. My guess is Josh Allen is no worse than a top five quarterback in the league. But stay tuned for that show in two weeks from now. going to be very exciting. Now, let's talk about today's games. So we built it up all show. We're going to talk about how we're betting here, where we're leaning, why we're doing what we're doing. But first, we got to turn it over to Joe Foreman here to show us what the Foreman formula is all about. It's very calculated. It's like an analytics department with the Oakland A's in Moneyball, and it never, ever fails. Well, the never, ever fails might not necessarily be true, but I'm going to try and write it out. I've been working on it for several weeks. It has changed countless times, and keeping track of where I started and where I am now is incredibly difficult. But I'll try and show you how I work it out. I'll be glancing over at my iPad as well for some assistance. But here's the general gist of it. When calculating the final score of the game, I start. So today we have the Chiefs and we have the Browns. So you have their points for and their points against over the course of the season for every game that they've played. So for the Chiefs, it was about 30 Four and 22 again. So we'll round everything up to the full number. And for Cleveland, it was about 26, four and 26 against. Cleveland's actually a net negative per game on the season. So when you have those numbers, then what I do is I look at their common opponents. Number one, I look at all opponents. Number two, 
running out of room already. Then next we look at the win percentage against common opponents. And then finally, after we get the win percentage against common opponents, we look at the uncommon opponents. Hopefully we're all still on the screen. All right, I'm blocking part of it. Very hard to see, unfortunately, but I'll try and narrate it out for you. So when you have the common opponent numbers, typically what I do, first I look at the teams that obviously both sides have played per game. So the Chiefs are a plus 10 on average per game in those games. The Browns are a plus 1.2. And then in all games on the season, the Chiefs are about a plus 8.5. And, and the Browns are about a minus, we'll say, half a point. Once I have that number, I go down to the common opponent win percentage for the Chiefs. It's about 80%. And or it's actually exactly 80%. And for the Browns, it's about 20%. Then I look at what percentage of the schedule that is. So we have a 60% difference, which comes out to, I make that six points. But then you look at what percentage of their schedule is common opponents for the Chiefs. It comes out to about a plus two. So that's about a third of their schedule. Again, much easier when it's laid out in the spreadsheet, but as I try and narrate, I'm doing the best I can. So then you have up here, you take the average of the differentials here. So that comes out to about six points. So you have the Chiefs plus six here. That's the big number, the important number. You have the Chiefs about a plus two here. And then looking at the win percentage of all their opponents for the Chiefs, their opponents won about half of their games. And for the Browns, they won about 45%. So the Chiefs had a bit of a stronger schedule. And against that schedule of uncommon opponents, the Chiefs won every game. So they were 100%. And the Browns won 90% of those games. But since the Chiefs had a stronger schedule and the Chiefs won a higher percentage of their games, that gave the Chiefs about another half a point. So my final spread for the game came out to about eight and a half points. Now, I don't factor in home field advantage. If you do, Arrowhead is typically a three or a three and a half. So you could say three, three and a half, which would put the spread between 11 and a half and 12. Overall, that would be the spread. And then for the final score, I just cross-referenced the points for and the points allowed. So for the Chiefs, that would be approximately 28. For the Browns, it would be approximately 24. And then what I do is for each of these differentials, for the six, the two here, and then the half point here, I divide those in half. I give half of it to the Chiefs and, and take half of it from here. So for the six points here, I would add about three to the Chiefs and take away about three from the Browns. In the end, it comes out to a final score of Kansas City about 31, and Cleveland, about 21 to 22. So for me, I'm taking the Browns with eight and a half. I don't calculate the, as I mentioned, I don't factor in home team. So I'm taking the Browns plus about 10, I think the spread is right now. Yeah. And I'm taking the under 57. So I hope that was somewhat clear. I tried to Absolutely. keep it, you know, as prompt as possible, but. I think, That's how I typically analyze each game, minus a few details. There's a couple of decimals I left out, but to keep it viewer-friendly, that's how I do it. What do you think, Joe Calabrese? Very great. intriguing. Uh, definitely would, would make more sense to people written out or on a spreadsheet where you can kind of see everything. But the core points, I think, are very easy to follow. Uh, I think you're just going by point totals, opponents, and then you're dividing amongst 
you know, common, like you said, common opponents, other opponents. There's one more step, the strength of schedule in there that goes into the right. number for all opponents, but that is such a small decimal. It does change it slightly. I left that part out, but I mean, my so final score prediction is 30 to 22. So we take, we'll, we'll take one core baseline from, from all bets, right? We'll, we'll use the spread. According to your Foreman formula, essentially the low number for the spread for this game should be eight or eight and a half, and the high number yeah. should be 12. So yeah. if you split the difference in that, that's roughly where you would naturally <laughs> want the actual spread to fall in. And the spread right now in most spots is either nine and a half or 10. So, right. so we got to roll uh, up. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so your final score projection is 31 22, which that's nine, right? That yep. falls on the spread right now, roughly by a half a point. So if you're a degenerate gambler out here listening to this show, our advice to you right now is if you're looking to bet the nine and a half, bet the hook or, you know, buy the half a point, you know, if it makes you a little more comfortable. And if you want to buy the half a point, buy up to 10, bet Cleveland, buy down to nine. Maybe you bet Kansas City, right? But similar, similar logic there. Very, very interesting. Very intriguing. I like that. Yeah, I just enjoyed creating it. It was something I did primarily for fun. But then I started realizing, wow, my numbers are coming really close to the actual spreads and the final score. I think they're they're definitely trying to narrow that correlate. We got to get Joe Foreman no, on week, week one next season to see. Oh, but the- don't yeah, have I week one. I can't do this in week Pre- one. Preseason breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> no, he can't. You can't do this in week one. You have to. You need a sample He's size. So you would need. Yeah, I would say wait until week what, what, five what? to try and apply this. Though I do have yeah, I was safeguards say, in probably, there. You would probably wait until the, like after the first month of the season is over. Yes. Before I think if, I, I would say a four or game sample size is probably enough. So yeah. you said week five. So that that makes total sense. Uh, all right, so we'll go back to the game. We'll analyze the game. Uh, Cleveland last week was ridiculous on offense. They scored 28 in the first quarter against the Steelers. That's not going to happen again today. They put that that game away fairly early. Uh, I do think them able they're able to run the ball. So them being able to run the ball and eat some time off the clock, I think is going to take away a little bit of the explosiveness of Kansas City's offense. Uh, usually in these types of games, you see Kansas City – uh, your first instinct would be like, okay, they're going to win by two touchdowns or more going away. I don't think that's necessarily the case here. Uh, I think Cleveland will be able to do enough on offense to keep this game within a relatively uh, a relatively manageable situation for them. Uh, so I'm with you, Joe. Uh, I think the nine and a half is, is a good figure for Cleveland. Uh, if it was a little lower, if it was like, say, seven and a half or eight, I'd be more inclined to take Kansas City. But I think now that it's nine and a half and in some places 10, I do think that favors Cleveland a little bit. Uh, and I think they'll be able to run the ball, like I said. So I will take Kansas City to win the game. I think they're definitely going to win the game. But I will take Cleveland with the nine and a half. We'll, we'll share that bet together. All right. Now, I, I agree. Cleveland, nine and a half. That's a slam dunk. I hope they win the game. I think they have a chance to come down to the end. Again, the Chiefs, they were off last week. Two weeks ago, they didn't play Mahomes, Hill, or Kelsey. So they got to get things going again here. It's going to be it's going to be tough to ramp up, but hopefully all things go well for them and you know they'll win the game. But uh, I, I'm really hoping the Browns win. Now, do we have any odds on will LeBron James tweet about the Browns if they win this game? Because I think he will. <laughs> he's a pony, but we know he's a Cowboys fan. So 
I don't know. I, I think I, I, I'd love to see the Browns in the Super Bowl so we could uh, expose LeBron James for, for being a fake Browns fan and see the Miz at the Super Bowl. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that. Now, Tony Paradis is a, is a big fan of my of my shirt here. Appreciate that, Tony. Uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. But so we're all in agreement here with the way this game is going to play out. Now, to the next game here. Joe, let us know. What is the form and formula telling you? for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the New Orleans Saints. This one surprised me, and I'll spare the writing it out once again. You got the general gist of it. But my numbers had the Buccaneers favored by almost a field goal despite being blown out by the Saints twice this season. And I think without looking through every game individually, a big reason for that was the decline in the Saints' offensive numbers a bit with Taysom Hill at quarterback. Now, they won a lot of those games. The big loss, of course, coming against the Eagles, which does hurt in the context of this formula. But, you know, I was shocked to see that Tampa Bay was favored. I think Tampa Bay is red hot right now, but I thought the spread of about three points was definitely fair, and I expected mine to be very close. I just didn't expect it to be in favor of the Buccaneers. I think the number dropped to two and a half this morning when I last checked, but yesterday it was three. I have Tampa Bay about a minus 2.7 in this game. So I'm certainly taking Tampa Bay. I don't typically argue with the numbers, but I'm not sure how much I like this one. Week by week, the formula for the last three weeks of the season, 9-7-1, and 9-6-1. and one. And then I actually threw out that last Chiefs game against the Chargers. Didn't factor into the numbers you saw on the board there. So you know, games like that, I tossed the Browns and the Steelers. I tossed that Week 17 game as well. But no games tossed here. And again, Buccaneers, but in uh, week 17, the point I was making is that there weren't 16 games I calculated in week 17. I had uh, 15 games, so it was 9-4-1 in week 17, the best week of the season. 3-3 three and three last weekend, 1-1 one and one yesterday, but I'm going Tampa Bay today. And right now, the over-under is 52.5. My final score projection has the Buccaneers at about 27.5, the Saints at about 24.5. 52 right on the over-under, so I'm not going to be much of a help on this one unless you're leaning Tampa Bay. Then maybe I pushed you over, but other than that, I'm not going to help you much on this one. All right, Joe Calabrese, what do you, what do you think here? A lot of people are picking the Bucks to go to the Super Bowl, so I don't know yeah. about that. But. I don't know about that either. Uh, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Joe. I think the, the Taysom Hill games are, are, are what is skewing uh, the stats over there just a little bit. Uh, I think if you were to look at the Saints, you know, plug the the, the just the Drew Brees games and just the Taysom Hill games into the formula, uh, I would imagine that there would be a, a little more of a, a discrepancy, maybe not a, a significant one, maybe ultimately just a, a two point or two and a half point uh, change. But uh, for me personally, I've seen the Saints play this team twice already. Now, even if this game is not a blowout, which I don't think it's going to be. I think this game is going to be significantly closer this time around. Uh, I've already seen the Saints team play this Buccaneers team twice already. And I believe that I've seen all I need to see. Uh, I think the Saints in this game definitely have the advantage. I think the most important player in this game is probably going to be Alvin Kamara. Uh, and I think Kamara is going to have a, a, a good game today. I believe the Saints are going to win this game, and I believe they're going to cover. It, it seems like this line is a little fishy. Like it, it's very fishy how low it is. 
I don't know. I, I would I would figure maybe it would be a little bit higher. I think that's probably the Brady factor uh, going into all this. Uh, I'm with Nick here. I'm not totally sold on the Buccaneers. Uh, I, I think the Saints defense will be able to hold them in check a little bit. Uh, I also don't think this is going to be a significantly high scoring game. Uh, I, I can't see this game getting into the thirties. I don't know. I feel like both these offenses are going to be a little more conventional today. Uh, try to eat some clock away. Uh, I can't see them going right up and down the field. Uh, so your number hits right very, very close to that on like the over under, I'm going to take the under in this game and I'm going to take the saints and I'm going to take the saints and the Packers in the NFC championship game. All right. I'm going to go with the saints as well. Um, the only team that I can remember that uh, lost twice in a regular season to the original opponent and then beat them in the playoffs would be the, the Giants when they beat the Cowboys. Right. So, so we'll see what happens there. Bressman wants to know who is the key player in the Saints Bucks game to guarantee their team a win. I'm going to go with Jason Pierre Paul. If he could get to Drew Brees, there's going to be some trouble there. And if you want to know for each team, uh, you know, Joe mentioned Alvin Kamara. Yeah. So why not? I think that's a good pick. So there you have it. Those are the picks. Um, we really love the Joe Foreman formula. And uh, maybe I'll get that trademark. Oh, I can't wait to use this next year. And I want to know if it translates to other sports too. Because it's We're a working very on the simple- NBA. We're working on the NBA. I haven't input scores in a few days, but we have more than enough of a sample size to start working on that now. So hopefully we'll get to that at some point. But the NBA is a lot more work, a lot more games. MLB should be fun too. I don't think it would work in baseball or even hockey really as much, but I think it would translate to, to basketball. I, uh, I do believe that. I've always been big with the basketball, especially, and it really started that way with football. I've drifted away from it more, but when I look at a spread like the Cleveland game where it's you know more than one possession, more than eight points, I always lean toward the underdog in that game. If they're getting that many points, which is what happened last week. I had the Saints by about eight and a half. I really liked them in the game, but the Bears were getting 10, which was relatively close to where I was. And if I had factored in the home field, then it would have been giving the, or the Saints would have been given close to 11. I wanted to take the Saints, didn't do it, paid for it, bet the game live, bet on the Bears live, plus two touchdowns. I won that one. Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy Graham. But <laughs> you know they were they were doing him a favor, I guess, in his former stomping grounds, getting him a touchdown late in the game. But I I tend to stay away, especially in the basketball. When you start getting you know these huge spreads, all those garbage points, and it's hard to factor that in a lot of the time. No doubt about it. Well, Joe, we appreciate you joining us here as we get ready for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs next week. We have the conference championship game, so. Everybody, use the foreign formula or just use Joe Calabrese's advice. And Tony has a question. Do we think Joe Brees can outplay Tom Brady today? Of course. Why couldn't he? Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, either way you slice it, Brees versus Rodgers or Brady versus Rodgers next week is huge. It's big time for the NFL. Um, and, you know, if any of those guys are taking on Mahomes, it's like, the all-time greats versus the current great. So good storylines all around for the NFL. Um, you know, I'd love to see uh, maybe they put the game on uh, on Disney Channel next year. The Super Bowl. I think that'd be cool. But that's going to do it here. So for our special guest, Joe Foreman, for my co-host, Joe Calabrese, I am Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.